This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. Matthew 13, and the section I'm going to read here is kind of lengthy. We've got a similar situation to the first half of the first part of this chapter, where Jesus gives a parable, and and then there's uh, some other things uh, there, and then he gives the explanation so of of the parable, so uh, of the previous parable. So you've got in in this case the parable of the uh, of the wheat and the tares or the wheat and the weeds, and, uh, and then the explanation of it, and in between that you've got a couple of more parables sandwiched between uh, the main parable and the explanation. And that's a similar situation we had uh, in, in verses 1 through 23. So I'm going to start reading in verse 24 and read down through verse 43, the end of the explanation of this parable. So Matthew 13, verse 24. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, He said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples came to him saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world. And the good seed is the Son's of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy enemy who sowed them is the devil. 
The harvest is the close of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the close of the age. The Son of Man will send His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Amen. Let's pray. Father, uh, we are thankful for Your Word, for revealed truth that You and Your good pleasure have graced us with. Lord, now we ask that You give us ears to hear. Open our understanding. Um, Enable us to grasp, to understand what You're saying here and make application to our lives. Make us, we pray, good, good ground, wheat, not bad ground or tares. Mold us, Lord, into uh, what You want us to be for Your honor and glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, this morning, and you know, talking out of Luke 13, we, we talk about the presence of evil in the world. It's, it's inescapable. Um, and as Christians, we're, we're not exempt from it. So, things like tragedy that we uh, focused quite a bit on this morning are... Uh, temptations, trials, afflictions, hardships in this life. Um, those things are, are no stranger to Christians, really, any more than they are to the rest of the world. We live in a fallen world. It's, it's a, uh, somewhat of an irony. I mean, we're, we're the redeemed, right? We're back in right relationship with God, reconciled to our Creator, and it's the separation, sin, that brought about these things in the first place. So you would almost think, and in fact some do think and teach, that the fact that we're reconciled to Christ, reconciled to God in Christ, would eliminate all those problems, the evils of the world. We'd somehow now be immune to them because we're set right. We're set in right relationship to God through the righteousness of of Christ, but that's one of the tensions or uh, paradoxes of the Christian life. We we live in the already and the not yet. So yes, we're already members of the kingdom. Yes, we're already saved, redeemed, uh, if we know Christ, if we have faith in Christ, reconciled to God through faith in Christ. But our salvation. Um, and the fullness of the kingdom is not yet complete. So there is a sense in which it is not yet. So, for example, when we talk about um, sin being removed from our experience, that has not happened yet. And I emphasize the word yet because it's, because it's coming. That, that time is coming. 
so now, yes, we're already saved. We're already children of God. We're already heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. But the fullness of the blessings that God has given us in Christ is yet to be known and experienced. It's coming a day when, like we sing in the song, we'll, we'll know the truth of save to sin no more. And there won't be any more death or pain. No more uh, evil for us to experience beyond the resurrection. Well, one of the, the shocking things about these facts, I suppose, because you might say, well, it's, okay, we're in a fallen world and, and we, we have to deal with evil uh, all around us, out in the world. But surely, in our own gatherings, might even say inside these walls or, you know, wherever Christians gather, catacombs, you know, uh, under a tree or in a church building, wherever it is, surely when we come together as a church body, um, at least we are exempt from the evils of things like hypocrisy, false religion, uh, if, if not the sickness and the disease, surely at least the uh, pharisaical spirit and those kinds of things. Well, I don't, I don't think that's the case either. I think that's what Jesus is warning about here. These things, these parables that are before us are warnings of the work of the enemy among the church. Now, Jesus says clearly in Matthew 16 that the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. So, so we know, uh, and, and by the way, that, that picture seems to me to uh, paint an, uh, a, a picture of the church on the offense, not, not on the defense, uh, because he talks about us you know, as, as though attacking the very gates of hell. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Um, but anyway, either way, there's a guarantee there that the church will be victorious, will be triumphant in the end. But that doesn't mean that uh, we're excluded from Satan's trickeries entirely. In other words, we, we still are exposed to uh, uh, the, the, the fruit that he produces in this world. So Peter says, for example, that we're to be aware, we're to be alert, because... He's like a roaring lion. That is, Satan is like a roaring lion roaming about, seeking whom he may devour. And Jesus is, is constantly issuing those kinds of warnings. So He tells His own disciples, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. He tells Peter in one place, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat. But I pray for you that your faith fail not. So while the Lord preserves His people, we're still exposed to a certain amount of evil in this world. And the warnings even are there to not be deceived. And again, I think that's the point of these parables here. Remember, in these, uh, in these chapters, especially uh, 11 through 13, there's, there's an emphasis here on the opposition to Jesus. And Jesus is, is openly confronting the false religion, religion of the Jews. 
especially as it is embodied in the, uh, in the Pharisees and, and the other religious leaders. So, there's a lot of emphasis here on, on opposition, on, on uh, false religion. And then Jesus gives the parables before us. Now, we, we have to keep in mind as we consider these, the one that we read last week, the parable of the sower, because I think uh, all of these are tied together. These are parables concerning the nature of the kingdom and again, uh, the work of Satan among kingdom people. So, for example, in the, in the parable of the sower, uh, we're not only told about good ground, that the sower goes out and seed falls and on good ground and uh, you know, it springs up and there's, there's, there's fruit produced, but he also tells us about bad ground. So, it's, it's a parable of two kinds of ground. Four kinds of hearers we talked about last week, but essentially two kinds of ground, the good and the bad. So, bad ground you have represented by the wayside, the seed that falls on the wayside, the path, and by the rocky ground where it, where it seems to have life, it springs up, but it has no root. And so, immediately when, when the sun arises, in other words, when persecution comes on a person for the Word's sake, there's, there's no real life there, there's no root, and they wither away. And then, the seed that falls upon thorns represents of people who receive the Word, but then they allow the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, to choke it out, to strangle it, literally. Um, so, again, in, in those three types of seeds, uh, or grounds rather, uh, those three types of hearers, we have uh, a picture of people who are not genuinely saved. Not regenerate. Although they may appear to be for a time, like the stony ground hearers and those who uh, spring up with the thorns. They may, they may give some appearance of salvation. Maybe they've made a profession of faith. Maybe they've answered correctly the right questions. Maybe they've joined the church. Maybe they are faithful attenders. Maybe all of those things. But there's no life in them. They have no root. And so, eventually, they wither. They die. And it's similarly, uh, similar here in this parable. Again, it's a parable about the kingdom, kingdom people, and then the infiltration of the evil one. Now, let me... Let's go back and look at the, the parable of the wheat and the tares again. What he does, as I mentioned earlier, he gives the parable, and then you jump over to verse 36 and he gives the explanation. So, it's, so again, it's a similar scenario to what we had in the first part of the chapter. He gives the parable of the sower, and then over in verse uh, 18, he gives the explanation. Same situation here. So, while there is some ambiguity to the parables, and Jesus uh, even seems to, uh, uh, to say that, and, you know, he's asked, why do you use parables? Well, so that uh, hearing they won't hear, seeing they won't see, and so forth, unless they turn and be converted. These two parables, at least, seem to be crystal clear. They're kind of self-explanatory. And then on top of that, Jesus explains them. A little more ambiguity in the, in the two in the middle. We'll talk about that in a moment. 
but I think, and this is why I'm saying all these things, I think the parable of the sower, that whole section, verses 1 through 23, and then the, the parable of the wheat and the tares, starts in verse 24, it, it, all, all of these are tied together. And under, understanding uh, those two parables is uh, kind of key to understanding the whole. I'll try to explain that as, as we go here. So first of all, there are parables about the kingdom of heaven, right? What Jesus says. The kingdom of heaven is like. These are, these are similes, parables, where He uses natural things, like we talked about last week, to explain spiritual truths. Now, let's just, uh, here, in, here in the uh, parable of the wheat and the tares, it's a, it's a simple picture painted here again using a farmer. He goes and he plants good seed in his field, verse 24. But while men are sleeping, the enemy comes and plants weeds. Now, here's where you have the, the infiltration. In, in, the, in the man's field where he planted good seed, the enemy comes and plants weeds among the wheat. Verse 26, So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. So it's not immediately evident, but eventually uh, it, it becomes evident. And I've, I've always heard it said, I'm assuming this is true, I'm not a farmer, so I don't, I don't know. Uh, and I haven't, you know, I haven't Googled it, so, uh, you know, uh, limited knowledge, right? Unless you, unless you Google something, I guess. Um, but I've always heard it said that Tears look like wheat in the early stages, so that it's very difficult to tell them apart. Uh, but eventually, it's it's made manifest. So that's that's what's happened here. They recognize now that there is that there are tares or, or weeds among the wheat, and they say, um, Master, verse twenty-seven, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he says. Well, an enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? That is, gather up the weeds. But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Now, the, the picture that he's painting here is that the, the two, uh, and all of the reasons for this may remain mysterious to us, but the two have to... Uh, have to co- coexist side by side for a period of time. He says the problem is if you if you try to get rid of all the weeds, you may damage the wheat. And he's determined to preserve the wheat, the good seed that is now growing up into uh, wheat. So he says, no, don't, don't, don't remove the weeds. Just leave them until the harvest. And then he says, verse 30, let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will send the reapers. Now, this is where the separation is going to take place. I'll send the reapers. Gather, gather the, reeds, the weeds first. Bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barn. So he's saying, "We'll take care of it at the harvest." Now, what 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 is the explanation for all that? Well, jump down to verse thirty-six. He tells us he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, "Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field." 
And he answered, The one who sows good seed is the Son of Man. Now here's Jesus giving an exposition of the, of the parable. The one who sows, the sower is the Son of Man. It's himself, is what he's saying. I'm, I'm pictured in the parable as the one who sows the good seed. The field is the world. And the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. So just like in the last parable, the parable of the sower, the, the sons of the kingdom were represented by the good ground. That is the, uh, the ground where the seed fell, the good ground, and it, it sprung up and it grew and it produced, produced fruit. Here, the, good, the uh, kingdom citizens represented by the good seed as well. Good seed in this case, rather than good ground. That's, that's one distinction. In the parable of the sower, uh, the seed was the Word of God. Here he's saying the seed, in this parable, is the sons of the kingdom. And the enemy, I'm sorry, the weeds are the sons of the evil one. Verse 38. So, the wheat, the sons of the kingdom, and the weeds are the sons of the evil one. Children of the devil. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. Now, think about what you've got there. You've got a picture of the kingdom of God being infiltrated. The kingdom of God is represented by the Son of Man, that is Jesus, coming as a farmer, planting seed, sowing seed. And He says the seed is the children of the kingdom. So, the wheat, in, in the wheat, you've got a picture of the kingdom. The, the, the wheat field. Let's say it that way. In the wheat field, you've got a picture of the kingdom. And the wheat represents the children of the kingdom. And then you've got the enemy infiltrating. The enemy comes along and plants weeds. So, he says, verse 39, "...the enemy who sowed them is the devil." The harvest is the close of the age, the end of the age. And the reapers are the angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with the fire, so will it be at the close of the age. The Son of Man will send His angels and they will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So he's saying, at the end of the age, there's going to be a separation that takes place. He says, I'll send, send the angels, the reapers. And at that time, the wheat, the, the weeds rather, are going to be separated from the wheat. At that time, the distinction will be clear, manifest. The hypocrites will be separated from those who truly know the Lord. And they'll be cast into the fiery furnace. place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The picture of, of hell. The torment of hell. When, when they're cast into, finally, um, their final state, the lake of fire, fire. Where we're told the smoke of their torment rises forever and ever over in the book of Revelation. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Now, there's a, what I was talking about earlier. That's at the fulfillment. 
at the consummation, at the, the, when the salvation is complete in full, then the righteous will shine forth like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Why? Because that's, that's when we enter into the eternal state, the resurrection. And there's no more death. There's no more sickness. There's no more disease. There's no more sin or its consequences. Even the evil ones, the workers of iniquity, have been removed. So, as is often said, now we are, we are already delivered from the power of sin. Then we will be delivered from the presence of sin. So, the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So, what you've got there is a, a picture of the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is like the kingdom of God. And it being infiltrated by the evil one and his sons, the children of the devil. The lost. Now, that's an amazing thing when you think about it. You might say, well, why would God allow that? And that's, again, what I was saying earlier. I don't know that I can really... Well, I'm quite confident I can't really answer that. Except that what, what He tells us here in the parable, don't, re- don't remove the weeds because you might damage the wheat. Now, why exactly that is, I, I, I don't know. But at any rate, what He's saying is, the sons of the devil and the sons of the kingdom are going to live side by side until the end of the age. Now, I want to I want to point out a couple things here. Years ago, I read a, a very good book by Leonard Verdine um, called "The Anatomy of a Hybrid." Um, it, it was kind of a uh, Tracing through history, the history of the church, and and talking about the the uh, the unfortunate uh, you know marriage of of church and state. And that's where the idea of a hybrid came in, and uh, and and the difficulties that that presented, and and well, frankly, uh, atrocities uh, oftentimes were the fruit of it. Uh, so, for example, you know, with the, with the Roman Catholic Church, they were literally killing. They weren't the only ones, by the way, but but uh, uh, they were at times literally killing um, Christians for differences in doctrine, doing it in the name of the of the uh, well, doing it in the name of the truth. But they had the power of the state, and so they were able to put to death people that they considered to be heretics. Well, in that book. Um, Leonard Verdine based a lot of his, well, quite a bit of his teaching. It was a very good book. And if, you, you know, if you're interested in reading it and you want to read it, um, read it. It's a very good book. However, he, he did make a big point of this parable um, because traditionally uh, the thought was that what Jesus was saying is, is that the church, the visible church, will be a mixture of saved people and lost people. 
And so, what a lot of the, what, what have come to be known as the radical reformers, the more Baptistic, Anabaptists and so forth, what, what they were saying is, uh, no, it doesn't have to be that way. The, the visible church uh, can be more pure than that. And they would go to this passage, and Verdine did as well, and, and make this distinction here. All right? uh, like I say, the, the kind of the traditional interpretation was what Jesus was saying is the kingdom on earth is going to be a mixture of saved and lost. And at the end of the age, the separation will be made. At that time, the Lord will, will uh, do the dividing. And the lost will be cast in the lake of the fire, and the righteous will, uh, the saved will enter into the eternal kingdom. The other way of looking at that, that Verdine was talking about, the Anabaptists historically talked about, and said, no, it's not the church that will be mixed, it's the world. And what Jesus was saying is, we're going to have to live together in the world, not in the church. The church should be pure. But we have to live together in the world and, and then at the end of the age, you know, there will be a separation. That sounds really good. And it sounds even better when you look at the reason they said that. Because they would, they would point to Jesus' own exposition. What did He say the field was in His parable? The church? No. He said the world, didn't He? Right, right here. In, uh, well, I've lost it. Verse 37, 38. The field is the world. The field is the world. So they would point to that and say, see, Jesus said in his, in his explanation, the field is the world. So it's not the church that's going to be infiltrated. He's not saying evil that hypocrites and, uh, you know, uh, evil people are going to be in the church. He's saying they're going to be in the world and we have to, as the church, live side by side with them. Well, now that really sounds good when you look at verse 38 and you say, well, you know, they must be right. Jesus says right there, the field is the world. So he's not talking about a mixture in the church of saved and lost. He just means in the world there's a, there's a mixture of saved and lost. The problem is, and, and boy, I, I ran across this when I was reading that book, and you know, because I'm looking at this passage, and I never saw where, uh, I don't recall seeing any good explanation uh, for it. The problem is, you get down to verse 41, and Jesus says, The Son of Man will send His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and lawbreakers. So in verse 38, he says the world, but in verse 41, he says the kingdom. Kind of uses that interchangeably. So now, at least in my mind, we're back to where we started from. And I'm thinking, okay, if, if he's going to gather them out of his kingdom, then the mixture was in his kingdom, which was the more traditional view. And I think the correct one. So yes, it's in the world, but it's His kingdom in the world. His kingdom as represented in the world, which is the church. I mean, He clearly says in verse 41, at the, end of the, at the end of the age, the Son of Man will send His angels and they will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and lawbreakers. 
and throw them into the fiery furnace. So, so yes, I do think Jesus is saying there are going to be hypocrites. There are going to be people in this life now who profess to know Me. And boy, we have plenty of other Scripture for that, don't we? Like those who cry out at the day of judgment, Lord, didn't we cast out demons in Your name? Didn't we do many wonders in Your name? And He said, I'll say to them, depart from Me. I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. And He told the disciples, beware of false prophets. In Acts 20, Paul warns the elders at Ephesus. He tells them, there will be those who come up among you who try to you know, lead people to follow them. Um, false brethren. John talks about false brethren in 1 John. So, there are lost people in the assembly, in the church, quote-unquote. That's what they mean uh, traditionally by the visible church. The people that you can see gathered together visibly, what we refer to as the church, the assembly, is a mixture usually of saved and lost. And Jesus seems to be saying it's going to be that way until the end of the age. And that's when the real separation will be made. Now, in a little bit of time we have left here, uh, which is not much, so I'll try to, try to do this quickly. Just, just keep that in mind. That's the picture. It's, it's a parable about the kingdom and the infiltration of the devil and his children infiltrating the kingdom. Now, let's go to verse 31. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Now, I guess the, the way I've pretty much always heard this explained and thought of it myself is that what Jesus is talking about here is, is the expansion of the kingdom. In fact, in both of these parables, in verse 31, 32, and in verse 33, the second parable is this, the kingdom of heaven, verse 33, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. So the idea being, okay, you got the mustard seed and you got the leaven. The mustard seed is a tiny, tiny, tiny seed, Jesus says. And it, it grows and it grows and it grows and it grows. He says it becomes a large tree, larger than all the garden plants, uh, becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in it. So this little tiny seed grows into a large tree and becomes a, a haven, a resting place for the birds of the air. And so, you, you know, we, we see there the expansion of the kingdom from something very small, Jesus and the Twelve, to something very large, what today many call Christendom, a worldwide religion, right? And then verse 33, the same picture. Leaven. The, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leaven. That's what leaven does. It, 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 it permeates and I guess swells, expands, and... Uh, until it just kind of takes over. So, she hides it in three measures of flour 
until it is all leavened. And so there again, the, the common interpretation is Jesus is talking about the same thing, the expansion of the kingdom. But there's a couple of problems with, the, with that interpretation of these two parables. One problem is that it's in the context of these other two parables where he's comparing good and bad and the work of Satan among the people of God. You know, the rocky ground hearers, I mean, they spring up, looks like there's life. The thorny ground hearers, again, looks like there's life. But they're really in love with this world. Over here, you know, you got the, the planting of the good seed in the field, but then the devil comes and plants weeds in there. So it's the infiltration of evil into the church. And, and in the parable of the wheat and the tares, these two smaller parables are sandwiched right between Jesus giving the parable and His explanation. What I'm saying is, I, I think there's a continuity here in all of these parables that He's talking about the same thing. So, for example, look again in verse 31. The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. <clears throat> it is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree. There's a problem with that. Mustard plant's not a tree, it's a bush. From what I've read, about three, maybe four feet high. A little tiny seed grows into a bush, about yay high. Here's, here, listen to what James Boyce says here. Just uh, read a couple of sentences for you here. In this parable, the growth of a mustard seed into a tree is abnormal. That is, a mustard seed does not grow into a tree, it grows into a shrub. Anyone to whom Christ spoke would know that. So when He spoke of the great and unusual growth of this seed, His hearers would immediately, <clears throat> immediately have been alerted to the fact that something was wrong. In other words, He's, he's describing something abnormal. It's, it's going to morph into something that it's not supposed to be. And then in verse 32, he said it becomes a, a, uh, a tree so that the birds of the air come and make their nest in its branches. Now, where, where have we seen this symbolism before? The birds of the air. That look familiar? Last week, in the parable of the sower, a sower went out to sow. In verse four, he sowed some seeds. Some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came down and devoured them. Then, in his in his explanation of that. He says in verse uh, 19, When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, 
the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. So the birds in the parable of the sower represent the evil one, the work of the evil one. Comes immediately and snatches away the Word. Now what I'm suggesting here is this. Jesus, telling, giving parables, He had just used the imagery of birds, the birds of the air, to describe the work of Satan. So it would be kind of odd, it seems, if he uses it now in, in the next parable with a totally different meaning. I think there's a continuity here. In other words, the birds of the air represent the work of Satan in the parable of the sower, and I think do here as well. So the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that grows, that is... Remember, it's the kingdom of heaven represented in this earth, the visible church, mixture of saved and lost. It, it grows into something abnormal, something it's not supposed to be, and becomes a haven for the birds of the air. Now, he seems to be describing the same thing that he's talking about in the parable of the wheat and the tares, that the kingdom... The church in this world is infiltrated by the children of Satan. They come and make nests in its branches. And what about the parable of the leaven? Verse 33, The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Again, what, what a good picture of infiltration. And think about the, the term leaven there. What is it usually, if not always, used to describe in the Scripture? Sin. Sin. And remember, Jesus told His disciples one time, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And He was talking about their doctrine. Be, beware of the doctrine of the Pharisees. So again, it would seem strange because the imagery of leaven representing sin, uh, that's not something new. That's throughout the Old Testament. So all the Jews that Jesus is speaking to here are, are fully aware of that. Every one of them annually, annually uh, at the uh, Passover had to clean their house of all leaven. Because it represented sin. And so it would be strange, it seems, to assign a different meaning to it here. So again, consistent with the parable of the sower and consistent with the parable of the wheat and the tares, I think what he's describing here is the infiltration of evil the work of Satan among God's people. Why? Well, it's not so that we can kill them all off. <laughs> we get accused of that a lot of times. People in the world think, well, you Christians, you just like to eliminate everybody. No. 
quite, it's quite the contrary. We understand from passages like this that as long as we're in this world, we're, we're going to be exposed to evil. I, I think it's a warning for one, because again, this is what we've seen in the last couple of chapters. He's confronting them. He's confronting the Pharisees to the face with their hypocrisy. And at the same time, warning His disciples, beware. Beware. And another reason, I think, is found, in other words, why, why would He... Why would he give us these parables describing these things? I think another reason is found in verse 43 because he's telling us, look, this is the way it's going to be in this world. There's always going to be hypocrites. In this world. So don't think that God's will is being thwarted. Don't think that Satan is winning. Don't think anything like that. That's the way it is in this world. Ah, but but we we get so frustrated, don't we? But because of what we see in the church today, and some of that is, I think, justified. In other words, we ought to have a righteous indignation for some of the things that go on. We ought to have a zeal for the glory of God. So that, like Jesus, when He walked into the temple and He saw all the money changers and the merchants, He got mad. And He got a whip and He drove them out. But at the same time, while we should have a righteous zeal for God's glory, a love for His Word, a love you know, for the accurate representation of the will of God, at the same time, we ought to understand, again, that God's plan is not frustrated. He's in control. This is the way it's going to be as long as we're in this world. But, and again, this is, I think, another reason Jesus describes these things this way. But, at the resurrection, here's the hope we have. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of of their Father. Why? Because all of these things we're reading about here, all of these things that we're experiencing with the, the evil in this world, outside the church and inside the church, all of these things will be history. And what He's assuring us of here, just another way of saying it, but what He's assuring us of here is joy in His presence for eternity. It's, it's hope. It's hope for the believer that although the state of things here is often bad, it's temporary. It's temporary. And God's plan is, is clicking along right on schedule. So that's what I think we have in these parables. You've, you've got pictures of the kingdom of God here on earth, the church, being infiltrated by the evil one, by the sons of the devil. I was reading uh, 
just just kind of a loose quote here, but <laughs> you know how you hear people say, well, you know, you, you may have heard this before. You know, I, I, I don't, I'm not going to church because there's too many hypocrites. There's some legitimacy to that complaint, isn't there? I mean, we all know it's true. And frankly, if the church were completely pure, not a one of us would be here. I guess it would be empty pews. No offense, but I don't think any of us um, meet the standard. And they say, I, don't, I, will, I won't go to church because there's too many hypocrites. Um, find a loving way to tell them, that's the very reason you're welcome to come. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if that weren't the case, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even be inviting you. I find a loving way to say that, like I said. But I mean, just, you know, we're all sinners. And in this world, uh, it, it even goes a little farther than that. In, in the assembly of the church, it, there's a mixture of saved and lost. It's going to be that way till the end of the age. And God will do the separating. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word and for these assurances from Your Word of eternal salvation, glory, joy in the presence of You. And Lord, for the knowledge that You give us through Your revelation of how things are so that, so that we're not frustrated, but so that we trust in You. And Lord, we pray, enable us, enable us to do that. Enable us to grow in our trust of You. You're working all things according to the counsel of Your own will. And You're working all things for our good. And Lord, we thank You for those precious truths. In Jesus' name, Amen. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.